one word. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, as we reflect on your word this morning, we pray that your spirit would be in and among us. Help us have wisdom and clarity about what is from you, Lord, and what are distractions sent to turn us away from your love and your truth. Lord, we pray that as we remember your love and the goodness that you have shown to be your character, help us not be anxious, but in all things and always trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul starts this morning by telling them that he's heard they're confused. And he's a little confused too, because he's not sure how they got confused. He says in here, either by spirit or word or letter, he doesn't know. All he's heard is they're anxious because the good word that he had taught them is getting muddled. And they're hearing these other stories. They're hearing these other teachings that are suggesting to them that the day of the Lord came and they missed it. And that's why they're anxious. Because I think that would cause anxiety in most of us if we think that Jesus came again. And despite our believing in him and loving him, he came, the day of the Lord happened, and we got left behind. And we don't get to live in that salvation that Paul taught us about. So that's where they are. And Paul is like, don't believe everything you hear. There is so much that you're going to hear, but cling to what I have taught you. Cling to the promises of God, because that is what's true. I think we can all understand that that is more easily said than done sometimes. As I was reflecting on this passage, I was thinking about the transition I've seen in my lifetime of the access to knowledge. When I was growing up, my parents had uh, the whole series of encyclopedia in our basement. We had a library in our basement because uh, we didn't have TV, and my parents were like, well, you can read. <laughs> And the nice thing about encyclopedia is if we had a question or we needed to do research for school, my parents were very comfortable telling us to go look it up because you can't get into too much trouble browsing the encyclopedia. (laughs) It's pretty well vetted. There is limited content. There's not necessarily crazy conspiracy theories that you're going to come across when you're just flipping through encyclopedia entries. Those were facts, in a way. And then as my sisters and I got older, this thing called the internet came around, and all of a sudden our teachers are teaching us what is a good source, Wikipedia not being an example of that. And you have to start to learn how to discern what is good and true and what is misleading. Now, don't hear me say technology is bad. I really enjoy being able to 
explorer on the internet, being able to learn about and from people around the world, there are good things that come from this access to knowledge. But it also means that we can access some things that aren't good and true. I distinctly remember a conversation I had with someone at my former church who said, I think you're wrong because I spent an hour on Google and I found an article that challenges what your seminary professors taught you. So I think our church needs to stop doing this because this one person said it's wrong. I went to the website that they had and I was like, do you realize they have like cult-like behavior across their whole webpage? Like, this is very obviously promoting one story. There's a reason that we as pastors have to go through three plus years of divinity school. And they don't teach us the truth. They teach us how to discern what is good and true from scripture. They teach us how to think logically and rationally, how to ask good questions, and how at the end of the day to come before God and say, God, give me wisdom because I'm confused. (laughs) Because that's going to happen. There are going to be so many voices shouting at us in this world about what is right, about what is true. But they're not all telling the truth. And if we listen to all of them, we're going to become very, very anxious people. We're going to start doubting the promises that God gave us in Scripture. Now, I will be the first to admit that Scripture is not always clear. (laughs) There are some very confusing things in the Bible, and even reading them in the original text does not make it clear. Sometimes it just makes it even muddier, because you look at the Greek and they're like, well... Different people translate it six different ways. And you're like, that's not really helpful. I still don't get it. But what we do know is that enough of Scripture is clear for us to have a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a fancy word for it. It's called the perspicuity of Scripture. But essentially what it means is no matter how complicated and confusing some of this is, and how empty it might seem in some ways, and that we don't get answers to every single question we have of God. We are not promised that. We are not taught that scripture is going to answer every wondering, every question. But what we can cling to is that scripture will be crystal clear in what it means that Jesus Christ came and died so that we might be given grace, that we might be included in God's salvation. It's also really clear that that act started with God. As Paul says in here, God gathered us. It wasn't that we all went running to God and God was like, "Mm, okay, I'll let you in. God himself initiated the gathering of his people. 
That is how much he loves us and desired us to be with him. And Paul says you can trust God's character. That God would not first gather us in and then play some cruel trick of having the day of the Lord come. And guess what? You missed out. He said that's not our God. God loved you so much he sent his son. And he has promised you that there are going to be signs and wonders, earth-shattering events, so that you will know when the day of the Lord comes. And if God has gathered you in, you won't miss it. He says, cling to that. Filter everything else you hear through that lens. If the stories or the teachings you're hearing challenge that character of God, challenge that love and that grace, it's not true. There is nothing in this world that can separate us from God's love. Anything that claims to is false. We might feel far from God. We might struggle to see his hand. But that doesn't mean he's not still there. Because he gathered us. And then Paul goes on to make kind of his second main point of, not only does he not want the believers to not be anxious, he wants them to cling to these promises of God so that they have peace. But he says that peace is important for more than just you. Because you are only the first fruits. There are more still to be gathered in. And as the first fruits, you get to be a part of that gathering. But you're not going to be able to gather people in if you're anxious and confused. If you're trying to explain or rationalize all of these other teachings that don't make sense, if you're trying to fit them all together, you're just going to confuse other people. They're not going to be attracted to the grace of God. Because that's what draws people in, is the grace of God. So he says, cling to that, not only so you have peace, but so that you can tell others about this grace, about this amazing love initiated by our God in heaven. I look at our world today, and we're not that far off from the Thessalonians. There are teachings that might seem true, that might have parts of truth, but that are really seeking to draw us away from God. And they can be really hard to discern. But that's part of what I love about church community. Is the beauty of this is, we don't have to figure it all out by ourselves. We hear in scripture 
that the Spirit will be with us and the Spirit will help us. But we also see in Scripture that it's not good for us to be alone, but that we are called to community, that God himself as Trinity is community. So we lean on each other. We have conversations with one another of, I'm confused about this, or I've heard this teaching. What do you think? Deceptions that we might fall for alone, our brother and sister in Christ might help us avoid that pitfall. But it all comes back to God's grace. It all comes back to the love that is modeled here. Because we can only trust each other to do that work together if we know that that person is also seeking God, is also open to the prompting of the Spirit. And if we know that that person is also not anxious because they have the hope of God. And we can encourage each other and build each other up in that. I love that on my down days where I am doubting, I can call on my brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I need to be reminded of the promises of God. We can do that for each other. Verse 13 through 17 are really beautiful. A common phrase in the States that has been talked about a lot in recent months is this thoughts and prayers. As things that deceive us, as things that make us think it might be the end time happen, we're very quick to say, I'm sending thoughts and prayers. But do we really do it? Paul here doesn't just say, I'll be praying for you. He writes his prayer down and sends it to them. He gives them something tangible so that in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of their despair and their confusion, they have one more thing that is true and good that they can cling to that they can show others who they are introducing to God, this is what is right. This is what is good. This is what it means to be a community of believers. And those words are hopeful. They remind us that we are never alone as we're finding our way through this journey of life, but that it is God who gives us the strength we need to every day get up and sift through what is right and what is a distraction. As we close, I want us to reflect on some words that help remind us of this. As part of the Christian Reformed Church, our church has certain things called creeds and confessions that summarize the teachings of Scripture, that remind us what it is to believe in God, that remind us of truth, remind us what is good. So before we go to prayer, 
I'll read the question and then I invite you to respond the answer with me. This is from the Heidelberg Catechism and it says, what is true faith? True faith is not only a knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. It is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, not only others, but I too have had my sins forgiven, have been made forever right with God, and have been granted salvation. Amen. There's no if, there's no maybe. This is what is right, this is what is true. God has gathered us. Jesus Christ died to earn salvation for us. And we might lose sight of that sometimes, but that is true and that is forever. So cling to those words of hope and love. For God's love is not fickle. He is there for you every single day. Let's pray. Father God, you are a good father who loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us so that we could be adopted into your family. Lord, on the days where those family ties seem strained, where it feels like we just can't see your face or hear your voice. We pray that your spirit would be in and among us, reminding us of what is good and true, quieting those voices of dissent, and giving us a peace that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.